This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today on the show, I have ultra runner Stephanie Howe joining us. She is supported by North Face. She's a Western States champion. She's a toddler mom. She has her PhD in nutrition and exercise science. She's a coach and she recently-ish relocated to France where she gets to play in the mountains all the time with her adorable son. Stephanie also had an eighth place finish at UTMB in 2015. She's placed third at Western States in 2015 along with her win in 2014. She won the Bandera 100K in 2017. In this episode, we talk about what's going on in her career now, reflections on her racing in the past versus what it looks like now and what her goals are in the future. And I got to say, it's one of my all-time favorites. It was a super fun conversation and I learned a lot from Stephanie. All right, friends, this episode is supported by LifeStacks MCT. This is the most nourishing thing to add to your morning coffee. It's a delicious MCT creamer packed with functional science-backed adaptogens that deliver smooth, long-lasting energy. It cuts through fatigue and boosts mood and vitality, especially when training hard. I like to use it for focus on my interviews. I will have a cup of coffee with LifeStacks right before an interview, and I love it. I love it, love it, love it. As athletes, we are all super careful about what we put in our bodies, and LifeStacks MCT has the highest quality standards. They're manufactured in the United States in a GMP and NSF certified facility to ensure purity, potency, and safety. All right, they have chocolate, vanilla, and hazelnut. My favorite is the vanilla, and you can save 15%. So just go to Amazon and use the code LINDSAY15 at checkout, and that'll save you 15%. Again, that's LifeStacks MCT. Use the code Lindsay15 for 15% off. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Stephanie. All right, friends, today on the podcast, we have Stephanie Howe on the show. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hi, thanks for having me. Coming to us from France, where you are somewhat newly located, tell us how you're loving living in France. Yeah, um, I've been here almost a year, um, in France for a year, and I just moved over to Chamonix a little over a month ago, so I'm loving it. I've spent a lot of time here uh, running the trails in the summer, mostly, um, before UTMB, and I just love the culture. I love I love I love French people. Um, they can be a little bit tough sometimes, but I I love I love the challenge. Um, I love the food, so it's it's been good. Um, not without its challenges for sure, though. I don't want to paint this picture of like life is amazing and wonderful. It's it's tough to be away from family um, and figure it out on my own, but I can do hard things. So here we are. Yeah, and when I say relatively new, I mean like we moved. I mean a few states over in the same country two years ago and I still feel new here so like a year and especially in a new country like that is still new how far like you're in Chamonix now like how far from where you were are you 
It's a little over an hour, but it feels okay. like a different place. Um, it's actually easier for me here because I have some friends here. So mm-hmm. I didn't make a lot of friends previously, um, which was tough. Yeah, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I have a community and some support here. So it's been a good move for me. Um, and when you mentioned that it's harder over there because it's so different, the people are different. Um, I even noticed just moving across the country, you notice those, the differences in like the small differences in culture just across America even. So tell me about those differences and what's been challenging for you. Yeah. I mean, the biggest one is people speak French (laughs) and I'm, I'm learning French, but I'm not proficient at all. And I find that sometimes I try, I'll say, parlez-vous anglais, or I'll try to say it in French, like I'll piece it together. And they're just like, no. And they say no, but they do speak usually pretty good English. It's just that, you know, I'm, I'm not French. So that's been hard to break into. I think in general, French people tend to be a little bit, they come across cold or standoffish and they're not, but you have to get through that layer. So that's tough. Um, (laughs) I'm working on that. And then just like the system is set up different. So healthcare, Mm -hmm. school, um, social security, and it's, it's really, um, you have to have all your papers in line. And I, it's like, you have to have this before this, but if you don't have this, you can't have this. So that's been a challenge. I just have to like take a deep breath and like, you know, um, like if I thought about everything that I'm still trying to work through, I would just be a mess. (laughs) So I'm just like, okay, I'm here. Just like focus on your day and that stuff will hopefully fall into place. Yeah. I imagine like you want to try to speak the language in a natural organic setting so you can like get used to it, but then you feel like, okay, am I going to be judged for how I say this? And like, I'm that American that's trying to speak now. And, but like you have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so intimidated to speak. Oh, I'd be so intimidated. I know, I think I know what to say, but I just get really flustered and I'm just like, oh, and I just like (laughs) spit out something like, and then later I'll be like thinking about, oh, this is what I should have said. It was just on the spot. I couldn't do it. Oh my gosh. So Chamonix is a place that you've traveled to many times, raced many times. What was the impetus of moving to this beautiful place? Yeah, I've just loved it. I I mean, I've wanted to move here because when I come here, I, I feel so good, um, Mm. physically, emotionally, energetically. Um, if you can take that as an answer or a reason why, um, it's just always been somewhere where I felt like home. And to the point when I would go back home, and I mean, I lived in a beautiful place. I lived in Bend, Oregon. I would go home and I would just cry in the plane <laughs> going home. Like, why am I, why am I, why am I leaving here? Um, so I think I've always wanted to, and I'm pretty adventurous in life in general. Like I, I like challenges like this. So living in a different country is, is something that appealed to me. I know that's not for everyone, but since I love my time that I've spent here and I, I like the idea of a, a different country. I like the French culture um, <laughs> for the most part. I love the food. I love their quality of life, um, how they go about day to day. So I think that was really the, the reason why. And I mean, it could have been other places, but again, I was just like, this makes sense. I like this place. I'm just going to do it. So maybe it was too spontaneous. Who knows? 
<laughs> no, I, I think it's so great. And you have a two and a half year old son now. Yep. And so I, I, I feel like I talk about like, oh, like just follow, you know, follow your heart, like get up and go like do, you know, we kind of did this move across the country with our kids a couple years ago. I say across the country, across half the country, um, which is not like moving to another country, but like we didn't really have a big reason other than we, we just felt like we didn't want to live in Indiana anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people look at things like that and they're like, well, you just, you just did it. Like you just moved, you know? Yep. And so you having a two and a half year old and at the time a one and a half year old moving to another country away from family. How did you like make peace with that in your head and also be like, it's okay. Like we can do this. This is what, like you're crying on a plane on the way home. Like that is a sign that you should go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I've always been adventurous and wanting to try out new things in life. And so I've never lived somewhere for like, you know, 10 years or, you know, that long, like even in Bend, I was there 11 years, but I lived in three different houses mm-hmm. um, because I, I like that. I'm not someone who just like puts down roots mm-hmm. and just, you know, builds my white picket fence and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so I guess I have that in my, my personality. And then with Julian, my son, uh, he's always been, well, because I've made him, he's always been adaptable, um, yep. young age. Like I'm not, super strict and like bedtime is 8 p.m. And like, you know, this is what we do on the weekends. He's always had like, you know, a bit of a flow in his life. Um, so he's lived in different places. Um, he's, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't ever think of it as like, we can't do this because I, you know, I have a child now. I was like, this is a great opportunity for him. Um, and even, you know, thinking about his, his, his short life so far, he's lived in uh, like four different places. Um, you know, he's just had to learn and adapt. And I guess the the reason I'm okay with that is his common thread is he's always had me. I'm always mm. with him. He knows, yeah. like I take care of him. He's safe. He's happy. Um, but when I was thinking about moving over here, I mean, the the quality of life and for him growing up here, to me, that was a big reason to do it. Um, because I like a lot of the um, I guess w- uh, the childhood uh, growing up over here just seems to have some benefits that were really important to me. Like what are those benefits? So I think like access to the outdoors for one, mm. like everyone, everyone goes, I mean, maybe that's specific to this area in France, but everyone is just like, it's an outdoor playground. So they're hiking, biking, um, as a family and like, you know, there's not as many organized sports. There are some, but it's like, you just go out and you, you recreate. So I love mm. that. Um, I, I really like the quality of, of food here. I, I do sports nutrition. That's my background. And so food's important to me. And in the U S you can get great food, but you have to try mm-hmm. here. It's like food is food and you can get it anywhere and it tastes so good. And I feel good eating here. So that that's big. Um, and then I think school is, uh, I like how it's set up here too. I mean, it's, it's hard. Some of it is hard, but I do think like you start at a young age, they have pretty high expectations. Um, like we, when we first arrived, Julian was just over a year, like a year and a half. And he went to a crash, which is like a daycare, but kind of better. Like you, you go there and, um, you can be there all day. They serve them a hot meal 
and um you know they had like these one and two year olds they would like grab their meal and everyone eats the same thing it's like stuff that i would love for like a three-course meal and they all sit down and there's no chaos and they're eating and then afterwards they bring their dishes up and put it away like i just didn't really experience that in the u.s so those little things i'm like wow this is just amazing that this exists and then healthcare is great too yeah i mean if i could get away with not having to pack this like crappy little lunch that i send with my preschooler (laughs) to school like I don't even, this is your, as a, as a sports nutritionist, you're going to be like, oh my gosh. But <laughs> I like stopped even sending vegetables in my son's lunch because every day they would get sent home. And I was like, I'm just wasting food. Like at this point I am literally just throwing away food and I'm not willing to do that. But I'm like, yeah, if they're there and everybody has served the same thing, like kids aren't going to starve themselves. Like they're going to oh. eat what they're given, at least something that they're given at school. Right, right. And they all eat the same thing. So it's, you know, I I think if I were to send Julian like broccoli and other vegetables, like he probably wouldn't eat it. He would want to eat the things that taste good. But since they have like, you know, their meals are like couscous with a eggplant with a mint chutney on top. Like that's literally what they eat. That's amazing. (laughs) And they all get it. So it's just like, it's normal. (laughs) And the other thing is they do get like desserts. I think that's a Mm. Um, cultural thing too they just and we do that in the U.S. but it's you know it's like oh that's a treat that's not good for you where it's like here's your your guter like afternoon like cookie like the first it's time part of it that, yeah they were giving like one and two year olds like chocolate I was like yeah interesting but I like it but it's like good chocolate probably it's not like it's not like crappy chocolate exactly um one of the things I wanted to hit on is how you said like you like to move around and like not necessarily like have a place with roots. And I, I feel like, and we both turn just turned 40. So, um, the older I get, the more I'm like, but I want to experience this and I want to experience that. And, you know, and at the same time, like last night I was at, I took my boys to a JV high school football game, like our neighborhood high school. Uh, cause one of our neighbor's sons plays and I'm like, Oh my, my boys love football. Like the, let's go watch. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked around the stadium at like this community and all these people. And I thought about the coach and I was like, these are people that are probably like really invested in this high school. Mm-hmm. And like this, is, and it made me think of like Friday night lights and like, this is their place. And I got a little nostalgic and like, Oh, like I want that community. But then at the same time I was like, but what if like my husband's job took us to like Costa Rica for a year and all this stuff. And I'm like, I want both, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I struggle with that because I can get really attached to things in a way of like, I think about where I grew up in Forest Lake, Minnesota. And I think of like all these things like, Oh, the apple orchard. Like you were saying, like the, the Friday night football games, but then like when I go there, I'm like, oh yeah, but there's all these other things. So yeah, I do think part of it is I am so adaptable. I could live anywhere. I really could. And so that makes it hard to like really maybe stay put somewhere because it's like, oh, but I want to try this and try this. But at the same time, I think back to all these other places. I'm like, oh, that was so great. Why did I leave? Um, but that's just part of it. And I guess you sort through it a little bit. Um but it, but it is tough when you, when you want that community, but you also want to try new things. I think, yeah, you just have to, you just have to do it and like, you know, see what happens. 
Yeah, I know. It's that idea of like, well, we don't have unlimited time. So like, what do we want to do with this time? And especially, I feel like we're at a, just like a really good place in our lives. Like age wise, I'm like, I just want to do everything, you know? Yeah. Um, listeners might be sick of me talking about this, but can we talk about turning 40 just for a minute? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad you brought it up too, because I feel like, you know, we put all this pressure on it of like, you know, this is this pivotal point in midlife crisis, or let's say not even midlife, uh, not midlife order, but um, uh, third life crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't really have that. But I've had this like, self actualization or self realization that like, I feel like I have been saving things for like, <clears throat> you know, like, for some time when I, when I deserve it or want it or should use it. So for a small example, um, I have this favorite pair of shorts and I would just never wear them because I was like saving my favorite pair of shorts. Yeah. And I'm like F that, like, yeah, li literally this summer, I'm like, I'm going to wear my favorite pair of shorts every day. I'm wearing them today. I mean, I just like just started living a little bit more rather than uh -huh. like, you know, using things like using the good dishes. Um, I don't really have good dishes, but you know, <laughs> Like that kind of thing, like rather than saving things, just like enjoying it. And I don't know if that has to do with turning 40, but I think so, um, maybe in an indirect way. But it's it's kind of a weird time. Yeah. And just so everybody listening knows, we Stephanie and I both turned 40 in August. We're birthday twins and we feel the same. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that, that day didn't change anything, really. It didn't. And my day was pretty anticlimactic. I mean, it was lovely, but it was just like literally another day. Um, and then the next day I was like, oh, yeah, like I guess that happened. Um, yeah. I'm going for a run. Uh, be back. Have some lunch. Like it was just, you know, not I guess. I don't know. I think maybe I'm thinking back to my parents and like they both had big 40th uh -huh. day parties. And it was just like not that experience for me. No. I mean, I did throw myself a massive party in my backyard, which was super fun. Yeah. Um, my husband also turned 40 in August and I was like, it's for both of us. And he was like, no, it's not. It, you know, you know, it's for you. <laughs> and he's kind of, I don't know if he'd call himself an introvert, but like I'm the social one and he's, he's good with not so much social. So he really like rolled up his sleeves and em sleeves and embraced the big party I wanted, but um, then on the actual day though, I did have some friends come over and, um, then I went to dinner with my family and my kids like fought a lot. So I mean, yeah. it was, it was just another day there. Back to real life. I am so excited to let you all know that I'm going to be in Richmond, Virginia for the Allianz Partners Richmond Marathon, CarMax Richmond Half Marathon and BCU Health Richmond 8K. I'm going to be emceeing at the start line, co-emceeing at the finish line. I'll be at the expo as well and hosting a meetup for friends and listeners of I'll Have Another Podcast. This is the weekend of November 11th, 2023, and I cannot wait to meet so many of you there and hang out and enjoy the beautiful city of Richmond. So if you're going to be there, let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram, lindsayhine626. Send me an email, lindsay at sandywayproductions.com. I'm going to put together some more information about the meetup I'll be hosting. And I cannot wait to see so many of you there. I know you've all been working so hard on fall marathons and half marathons and training. And this is such a great race 
Uh, I'm excited to live in the area. Being in Raleigh, I'm only two hours from Richmond now. So really excited about this race and cannot wait to be there for the first time. I've never been to this race, so I am so pumped. And if you are thinking about running the race, go to richmondmarathon.org. Hope to see you all there and stay tuned for more details. Um, okay. So the other piece I wanted to talk about with like motherhood and turning 40, um, we'll walk back a little bit in your career. Like we'll start here and walk back a little bit, but, um, I'm curious as a very accomplished ultra runner and well-known name in this space, champion of Western States and, and many other course records and whatnot, um, how are you walking through your career right now? Two and a half years postpartum, turning 40, moving. Like, what does your running look like right now? I'm in a weird spot with running. Um, I'm sort of working through it. I I guess if I back up even further, I wasn't sure if I wanted kids. I was kind of like 50-50. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, I loved my life. I love the freedom to travel, to run. I felt like I had a really good thing going. But part of me was curious. Um, and so when it did happen, it was just like the best thing. It was like, I didn't know mm-hmm. what I didn't know. And yeah. imagine anything different. And that has changed a lot for me with running. Um, I mean, I I had an injury right before I was pregnant that I needed surgery for. And so then I had to wait until um, I was postpartum to get the surgery. It was on my Achilles. And so, I mean, I had that whole year off from pregnancy, postpartum, and then surgery. So another year off. And it was in the middle of COVID, too. So it was like all the things. Um, And then I started to come back running. But it's just I haven't been the person who bounced back super quick. Like, I didn't have any like big issues, but it was just like, maybe mentally, I wasn't there uh, emotionally, and a little physically too. I just didn't have that drive to like get out for like four or five hours. I was like, yeah, just like an hour or two, like that's good. So I'm, I'm kind of working through a little bit of like, what running means to me or how it fits into my life. Because previously, like running really defined a big part of my personality and it still does but it's just taken it's softened a little bit like the importance of it or the external importance of it internal it's still very important for me to get out Mm. uh but it doesn't matter as much like if it's fast if it's far if it you know what it is it's just like my time to myself um that said I struggle to still be relevant in the sport Mm. because I've been out of at least the top, you know, like being on podiums and big races, I've been kind of out of that for the past few years. So I'm, I'm trying to next year, put my neck out there a little bit, um, do some bigger races, see if I can get my body um, and my head and my heart all aligned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just try, try again, because I, I want to, but it is so different now, because I do care, but I, I care less in a Mm. good way. It's like, um, one of my friends, she, she's a very accomplished runner. She's older. Um, she's the, actually the president of the Western States board and she has two kids and she won, um, the, it's called the Dipsy race. It's a big Mm -hmm. race in California and, um, she's won it several times. And her daughter said to her after finishing the race, 
yeah, but you still have to wash the dishes tomorrow, mom. <laughs> and like that was like to me the best example of motherhood. Um, you know, you can do amazing, you can do crummy, but you're still going to be a mom, you know, right after you cross that finish line. So some of the, the weight that I used to put on results, that's really gone. Um, so that was a long winded answer. To- no, I love it. <laughs> um, first off, who, who's the person? What's her name? Uh, Diana Fitzpatrick. Okay. Um, I, I'm curious though, as you're saying this, as someone who wasn't sure if they wanted kids, so if you were listening to this podcast pre-kids and you heard someone say that, what would you think? I mean, it would probably intrigue me, but I just saw like the parts of it that looked not very fun. Like, ah. you know, having to get babysitters, being tired, like you hear about all that stuff and like, uh-huh. you know, oh, I can only go for an hour or I have to go after lunch. And I just didn't want any of that. But when it happened to me, it just felt natural. It wasn't like, mm. oh, I have to sacrifice or I can't do my schedule how I want. It was like, oh, this is my life and I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think I probably still would have been like, I don't know. I'm intrigued, but I don't know. <laughs> me. Um, yeah, I love I love how Sally McRae talks about her kids. Like, Because sometimes, I mean, being a mom is really freaking hard. So hard. And yeah, I wouldn't call it a sacrifice either, but like there are times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to get up and go do this without having to do this, 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 this today, you know? And then there are other mornings where I'm like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. I would snuggle you forever if I could. Um, but I love how she talks about how her kids are a gift and like she will never call it a sacrifice and all these things. And um, it helps me put it into perspective on days that are really hard. I mean, we all know that our kids are a gift, but speaking that out loud is helpful sometimes. It, it really is. And even within the same hour, I can be like on those extremes, like, oh my gosh, like I'm literally going to lose my mind. Um, and then he'll do something so cute that I'm just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like, let me take your picture. Like, please don't move. Um, and yeah, I think just knowing that this is common, like this is how toddlers or little kids act is really helpful. Um we had talked about this uh, off air, but uh, I follow uh, Big Time Adulting on Instagram, uh-huh. and she's just fantastic because she just says what it is with, you know, like <laughs> no filter. I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. Like that's like that's what's happening at my house. Or like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, and that's her shtick too. I try to be like so open about like the struggles and also the good things. And then sometimes I'm like, well, you don't want to be like complaining all the time, but it's almost like you just want to share the hard parts, which by the way, when your kids get older, you really can't share that stuff anymore because it's, you know, like you can share a toddler temper tantrum or your toddler freaking out about what color plate they're having. But like when you're like 11, 12, 13 year old starts having issues, it's like, okay, it just gets hard period. The end. (laughs) Yep. Um, But anyway, yeah, no, I think it's just really important that we see, we see that, oh, this isn't like, cause sometimes I'm standing in my kitchen. I'm like, I wish like the world could see how freaking insane this is right now. Like, this is crazy. Um, uh, But anyway, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, so was it 2014 you won Western? Yep. 2014. Okay. So I'm curious now, like, 
when you see Courtney win and when you see people on the podium and all these things, like at this point, like how does that make you feel knowing like you were there? Like that was you. Yeah. I mean, I'm just the biggest emotion is excitement and happiness because I know a lot of those runners personally, and I'm just so thrilled for them that, you know, that's, that's where they are right now that they're Mm. um, experiencing that. And I also think of it in a way of like, I stood on the shoulders of the women who came before me, they like paved this way, you know, and I was able to do what I did because of them. Mm -hmm. And hopefully some of the women now are able to do what, what they're doing because of me. Um, So that feels really good too, to know that I contributed to women in sport. And it's really uh, like an inflection point right now, especially in trail and ultra running of like giving equal equality to women. Um, it's an exciting time. And I, I work on a, a couple of committees uh, that's helping push some of that forward. And I, I love that. And I love watching the women succeed and also get the attention that they deserve uh, because that hasn't always been the case. I know. Like I loved when Jim Walmsley was interviewed after UTMB and he was just like, I'm just like, what, how did he say it? Like something about, I'm just standing on the shoulders of the women who have already done this. Well, someone was interviewing him and asked like, what does it feel like to be the first American to win UTMB? And he, he is the first American man, women UTMB. And he's like, I'm just standing on the shoulders of the women who came before me. Um, Mm. You know, like Rory Basio is she, she's a good friend. So she comes to mind. I mean, she won twice and like was top 10, Um, you know, like women have been winning UTMB. It's just that the American men haven't. So that was really classy of him to. Oh, I thought so too. I love that so much. Um, so in, in all of your years of like winning these races, setting course records, um, what stands out to you the most as like, oh man, that's an accomplishment that I will hold with me forever. Yeah, I have to. And I'll start with the first one. And it's going to be really cliche because it's what everyone is like, oh, of course that one. Um, But Western States. And the reason, though, is because uh, Western States was my first hundred. And the the people that I surrounded myself with, that was like they lived and breathed Western States. They were all older than me. And I was just like a sponge around them. They like mentored me and just, you know, like took me under their wing. And so for me to come into Western States, I got a spot in the lottery. <laughs> I took- Oh, wow. Yeah, I got really lucky. Um, oh, so you didn't even get a golden ticket. You're just like a lottery person. No, they didn't have golden tickets then. Okay. Or actually they did, but it was a little different, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have a golden ticket. I had a, I had a lottery spot. And was just super nervous about running my first hundred miler. Thought it would be cool that it's Western States. Then I I won. And I just can like, I get tingly when I think about, you know, crossing into the track in Auburn, running under the lights and just having like it all come together. Like that was so memorable. Um, And I mean, I ran the race, but really a lot of credit to the people who helped show me the way there and gave me you know, all of this information and mentored me like that was really that made it even more special, I think. Mm, who were those people? So Megan, um, Megan Arbogast, um, she goes by Megan Canfield now, uh, Craig Thornley. Um, those were they were like, you know, the two Oregon people. Um, 
who else? Andy Jones Wilkins. Um, <laughs> he was really great. We did a couple training runs together. Um, Tim Tweedmeyer. Um, I'm forgetting someone else. I know. Now that I asked it, I'm like, oh, no, I'm putting her on the spot. And oh, she's no. Gonna be like, I don't want to forget anybody. I need to say one of my person, Scott Wolf. Um, he, these are all people I knew from Oregon, but they would like go down to the Western States trail and do a lot of stewardship and training. And they were just really supportive of me because sometimes, you know, you have this new, like up and coming fast runners, like, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. but they were not like that. They were so welcoming and so generous. And they clearly believed in you. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that meant a lot to me. So were you with the North face yet at that point? I was. I was on the um, national team. There's like two designations. It's like the national team is like the up and coming, like you're kind of new to the sport. Um, so you, you know, it's it's a little bit different than the, the global team. So I was on that team at the time. Um, it's funny, though, because it was like I had a lot of my my bigger results when I still was um, just very new to the sport. Uh, uh, what were your expectations going into that race? I really wanted a top 10 um, okay. at a good day. I really wanted to finish, yeah. you know, cause a hundred isn't one of those where it's like, you know, like a 50 K, like you can, you can walk it in if you need to hundred, a hundred mile is no joke. Like things can go really wrong. So that was like, first goal was like, I want to finish this race. Um, and then probably second goal was sub 24 wanted a belt buckle. And then the third goal, if things were going well, would be top 10. Wow. So when in the, I mean, I'm sure you've rehashed this like eight years ago, lots of times. Um, <laughs> but uh, when in the race were you like, oh my gosh, I might win this thing. I don't even, I don't know the details of that race in 2014. Like, were you far up for se from second? Um, so I took the lead at um, mile 30. So Robin. Okay. Wow. But I didn't think like, I would hold it. I was like, wow, this is cool. I'm leading Western States for a little bit. And the woman I passed was a friend. And I was like, ah, oh, see you in a little bit. Cause I was <laughs> to go downhill and I was a better descender than she was. So like, I'll see you on the uphill. Um, but then I just like kept moving. And honestly, I didn't let myself think about winning um, until I was like, I don't know, five to 10 miles from the finish. Cause still so much can go wrong and it was unknown territory for me. So the whole strategy was like, just try not to blow up. So I was mm. conservative at the end, um, to the point where it's like at the very end, my crew is like, you can break 18 hours. Cause I ran 1801 and I was like, uh-uh, like <laughs> to enjoy this last mile. Like mm. I brought my entire crew in and we just kind of shuffled in. Um, and like that, that meant more to me than like trying. Oh, to I love that. Yeah. Because you, at that point you knew it was solidified. Yeah. I think I had like a 20 minute lead. So I, I, yeah, I knew, I knew I was going to make it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty like, that's pretty, I don't know if mature is the right word, but like, that's pretty cool that in that moment you were able to be like, okay, I could break 18 minutes, but like this community part is way more important because, you know, when you clock over under the next hour, like there's just like, there's some like significance to that. Yeah, there is. But it like those people gave up a lot to be there for me all day long. And especially um, one of my best friends, Elisa Chang, she's a runner, but she's not she's not a fast runner, but she's like, 
the best crew person ever. And she was nervous about joining me. I was like, don't be nervous. Like we're running this together. So yeah, super cool. Oh my gosh. Okay. What is the other, um, event? Yeah. So this is like kind of like opposite end of the spectrum. So it was last year at OCC, which is one of the UTMB races. It's the 56 kilometer version. And it was kind of like, I mean, I'd been racing a little bit postpartum, not real well. And like the first big one for me and like, I I totally bombed it. Like not surprisingly, I didn't think I was going to be competitive, um, but bombed it more than I thought. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, I think it'll take me like six or seven hours. It took me like the upper end of seven hours. And, um, but it was so amazing because I had my son at the finish line. Mm -hmm. I ran across the, the line with him. And like, to me, that was like, really really special I didn't care how I did it was just like I was thinking about that moment all day um yeah and I won't forget that one Mm. how do you um handle being in a race in a situation like that without comparing yourself to like the other version of yourself that was winning western states or coming in what'd you come in but UTMB eighth um yeah CCC but you were running OCC you were fourth at CCC Mm mm-hmm Um, but like running with the front pack, like being ultra competitive, like, I mean, I think, and I'm just, I'm saying this because there's a lot of everyday runners listening who are like, oh yeah. I mean, even me, I can say this, like when five, six years ago, when I ran a 311 marathon, like I was like, I felt like a different runner than I am right now. And I don't know if I'm going to get back to that. But for me right now, if I were to run like a 325 marathon, like I'm feeling good. Like I am fit, you know, but it's sometimes hard to not compare myself to like what I was doing. It's really hard. Um, I think what I try to do is let the ego go of like, you know, why am I doing this? Okay. I'm doing this because I like to push myself. Okay. Am I pushing myself? Um, and I've tried to drop the expectation of what other people think mm-hmm. or what people expect of me, which is hard being from, yeah. the- I really care about what other people think. I'm a people pleaser. So I've had to work on that a little bit, but I think I go back to like, I'm doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes like, uh, for example, I ran OCC again a few weeks ago and I just was like, kind of not feeling great. So I just backed off and I just went medium hard, but that's also hard then to finish mm. and be like, I'm not going to like sanding and be like, Oh, I didn't try, you know, mm-hmm. I only medium hard. Um, it's like, no, I did the best I could for the day. And I, Actually, it's funny. I thought about it. I had a babysitter and I knew she was going to be at the finish line. And that after I finished, shortly after I finished, she was going to say goodbye. And then uh-huh. like, yeah, I couldn't be a wreck, basically. Um, so that was also in my mind of like, don't put yourself so far under that you can't be a mom. <laughs> that um, you're going to be like literally sick the rest of the day. Right, exactly. Or like, I can't carry him. Um But I think it it is hard because people will be like, oh, good job. And, you know, or just like, and they're kind of probing for you to like talk about it a little bit. Uh So it is, it is tough. And that is part of why I want to put some effort in next year and try Mm -hmm. to come back. But it is different. I mean, different body. I'm older. Um, Emotionally, I'm in a different place. So I don't know if I have a good answer other than I just try to give myself credit for like, you know, the, the actual like, um, intrinsic part of it of like, Mm -hmm. I did this race and I tried my best and I'm not going to give it too much more thought than that. Other than like, 
good job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I oftentimes say like my strongest marathon it was like 12 minutes slower than my fastest marathon. Yeah. You know what I, you yeah. know, and it's like with what was going on with my life in the moment and my training and all these things, like that's actually probably when I was at my strongest. And, um, I think it's easy to put like a label on like, Oh, well, where did I place? What was my time? And that's when I was my strongest, but like, that's not necessarily true. Right. And if you're upset about finish or about, um, performance results, it's like, well, you're just beating yourself up for no reason. Like you don't need to be upset or disappointed. And that's like really like deep thoughts, you know, like pure yeah. layers of like, but if you're doing it because you like pushing yourself, then you have to also be okay with knowing like that's, you did, you did what you set out to do regardless of what other people did because you have no control over them. Totally. Well, you seem like you're in a really good place right now. I know in, was it 2018 you walked through, or 2019 you walked through a divorce and then you became a mom. We walked through COVID. Now you've moved. How did you get on the other side of all that hard? Oh my gosh. I, I'm still pretty, pretty mm. deep in it, in parts mm-hmm. of it. Um, but I think I've had a perspective shift of like, you know, I said like, I'm wearing my shorts that I like. I'm just like living day to day. Um, so I'm trying to not let all of the heavy things uh, determine my outlook and look for the positives um, or just look, be present. And mm-hmm. so I, that's helped me a lot. Um, I do feel like I just said, like, things are still pretty hard, but I'm actually pretty happy. Mm-hmm. And I think you can hold those two things if you think about it kind of like short term and long term or like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got these things I'm working through. But like, as I'm working through them, like my days have a lot of joy in them. Um, There's a lot of really great things. I mean, I'm living somewhere that I've wanted to live. I have a beautiful little boy. Um, I've got a great career. I've got a great sponsor. My parents are wonderful. So like, I've got all these good things. And I don't mean to triage, like, you know, like put aside your bad things and focus on the things that you are like grateful to have. But for me, I think I could let the the tough things consume me and I'm choosing to not do that because I want to enjoy my life. Mm. I love that so much. It's so, so, so true. That helps. Well, I was hearing therapy in that for sure. <laughs> like, because I've been, I've been talking to someone this past year as well. And I'm like, oh, I'm hearing like, I just, and I know that in 2023, like everybody's in therapy and whatnot, but I'm like, that's a good freaking thing, you know? <laughs> so good. Yeah, even just someone to bear witness to what you're going through or just to say things out loud, it's so good. And it's become easier to do, right? Like there's there's remote virtual therapy sessions, so it's just become lower barrier of entry. For sure. I know. I'm like, also the other thing is like, I think for me for so long, all of my issues with like my generalized anxiety and things like that, I like... I put so much on my husband and my mom and like, they aren't professionals. They love me, but like, I need, I needed like something external that like they couldn't, they couldn't help me the way I needed help. And Mm -hmm. it took me like 20 years to figure that out, which was hard to do. Yeah. I think it's something that the generation previous to ours, like didn't, that it's not something they do really. And so it's a little foreign for us to be like, you know, the first 
to really like everyone's doing it, like you said, um, but your, your close circle can't be everything for you. They can mm-hmm. support you, but they're not able to give unbiased um, advice sometimes. And then also it's like, you don't want to just like keep, like I do it to my parents sometimes. Right. Calling them crying again. Like, okay. You know, like sometimes it has to be a happy conversation. Yeah. Poor my, I know my poor mom, but I'm also like, well, like there's a small part of her that I'm sure is like, well, I'm needed. That's great. Like she still needs me at 40, you know, but at the same time, like she is not a therapist. I know I oftentimes when I've been in therapy, like picture both of my parents sitting in the chair or the couch or whatever. And I'm like, man, they've got a lot to unpack and neither of them will ever go. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. So different. All right, friends. I want to thank two before for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This is a unique pre-workout that is made up of blackcurrant berries grown in New Zealand that contain high levels of antioxidants called anthocyanins. Blackcurrant anthocyanins are science-backed and benefit-packed. Blackcurrant berries improve your endurance, they kickstart your recovery, and they strengthen your immunity. You can drink it daily 30 to 45 minutes before you work out. I just mix it up with water and take it before a workout. I am loving it. 2B4 is offering an exclusive limited time offer to our listeners. Big discount here, 30%. Nobody does 30%. 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping when you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at checkout. Just go to 2B4.com. That's the number two before.com and use the code Lindsay. So you seem to have like throughout your career walked alongside like career, 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 right? Like running career, nutrition career, getting your PhD, all these things. We are talking to a doctor, by the way, friends. Uh, How do you manage both loves and I mean I mean walking through a dissertation and like getting your PhD while running all these miles like that's a lot that you were doing that was so hard so I lived my life by my calendar um and like during that time especially it was very like okay you have an hour here you have an hour like it was very by schedule like there was no time for like messing around it was like hustling and I did train I mean that that was the year when I was collecting my uh, data for my study, I, that was the year I won Western States. So, wow. but I'm not like a high mileage person. Like I, I run a little bit higher now. Well, time wise. How were you running? I guess I know when you're talking about ultras, like you do talk about time because you're in the trail so much, but like, how would you mileage time wise? How, what were you running when you were won Western States? Yeah, I was running like during the week, like an hour to an hour and a half max. Um, Wow, really? On the weekends, I mean, we get out for long runs, like usually three hours was a good. Both days. Somewhere three, three hour run, Mm, three, two. Um, But then like every once in a while I would have like a four hour run. Um, Yeah. And I had a great coach, Ian Torrance. He was my first coach. He's fantastic human. Um. He really, I mean, he got me. I think he understood that I wasn't, you know, like I didn't need like miles and miles to to be prepared. Um, and so I think I trusted that. Um, and before, 
there wasn't as much social media. Like I don't struggle mm. this, I don't think, or I didn't have it at least. So there wasn't as much comparison. And I still try to remember that. Like I don't need a lot of miles. I think so many runners now do way too much because oh, it's crazy. other people and they're comparing it and it's not healthy. Um, so it wasn't as tough of a balance because I wasn't running 100 mile weeks um, for sure. It was a Wow, that's pretty job. cool. Yeah, yeah. And I think now I don't know what my mileage per week is. It's somewhere between, uh, it's like 100 kilometers per week. So that's like 60, but a lot wow. of, so it's, it's more time. So I, I'm actually doing more now um, over the week, but just maybe not as long of runs. When you say you're doing more now and it's a lot of avert, like, are you like, how much of this, maybe this is a really basic question for those of us who are, but this is for those of us who aren't ultra runners. Like how much of this are you like hiking up, you know, instead of running up? Um, very little. I'm okay. all of it, but that's, that's just my, that's just me. So I, okay. what I call Megan and Megan uh, Canfield and I call it the Barbie jog. Okay. Basically, because the hill is so steep that I'm running, but I would be faster hiking up it. But okay. I a little trot. Um, yeah, but in a race, I would be hiking most all of this. But because would... you're going to be faster if you're hiking. I'm going to be it. faster, and it saves energy. But since I'm just running a couple hours, I just run it all. Um, and so I used to be, and I still love poles, but I used to be so reliant on my poles when I came over here. Like I couldn't go anywhere without my poles. <laughs> um, when I moved here, I just put them away and I haven't used them. I use them huh. for a hundred K in July and I use them for that. But then I just have like tried to be running more to get better at it. And that's working pretty well for me. Oh, so interesting. Okay. Ian Torrance. I need to have him on the podcast, huh? Yeah. He's- would he come on? Is he one that would come on? You think? I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah. And another one, I, my coach right now is Jason Coop. Um, oh, and okay. I'm for the last, geez, I don't know. <laughs> feels like forever, um, but a really long time. And he's just uh, been the best mentor um, for me in life and in running. So you, um, speaking of Jason, you've been on his podcast. Do you like co-host it a little bit? I, I did for a few. He was busy doing a project for several months. So I got to do, I think I did three or four. I got okay. to do whoever I wanted. Um, so that was kind of fun. But Super yeah, fun. I am involved with um, a couple of projects with him. So Research Essentials for Ultra Running is a newsletter that we put out. That's just a really cool um, digestible piece of information about three studies because there's so much misinformation about like I guess any anything that relates to ultra running so nutrition training gear etc so there's two doctors I'm one of them two PhDs Jason Coop and then um his editor um Jim Rutberg who has helped him uh, write his books the four of us meet and this is like one of my favorite things I do we just geek out over the science um like we tear the studies apart and then um <laughs> ready turns it into something cohesive that people can read so that's been a really cool project um, and this is kind of a tangent but I love my running but I also love my science and I've never I've never wanted to just be one or the other like mm-hmm. I and I, that was good advice I got when I first started um, there's a woman named Cami Semek who lived in Bend she was a North Face runner and she was like 
Stephanie, never quit your day job. And I was like, mm. noted. Um, so I've always like kept some sort of like, you know, big chunk of my time for academic work or research work or, or whatever I'm doing. Um, it makes me busier, but I also think it's a good thing. Oh, yeah. It keeps your mind busy, like not obsessing over whatever happened at OCC or whatever. <laughs> right. And if say you're injured because everyone gets injured, then it's like, oh, my gosh, like what else? If you don't have like something else to focus on, it just makes those periods of time so much worse. And by the way, if you're listening and you don't want to get injured, stop paying attention to all those miles everybody else is running. <laughs> yeah. Just like, well, okay, here's a really quick thing you can do that I think is fantastic. Put your watch in kilometers. Um, I keep, I mean, I live here, so I've done this for years. Um, but I also don't know like kilometer per, um, or pace per kilometer. I was like running five minutes per kilometer. Like, that's yeah. cool. like I yeah. that means, I mean, I sort of do, but I think that's a great way to stop. the. That's a good idea. Um, okay. So I feel like we'd be missing like a, a big thing if I didn't say, ask you like, um, as a nutrition scientist, is that what you would call yourself? Nutrition scientist? Yeah. Or like nutrition professional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are, let's say three things someone should make sure they're doing if they're diving into ultra running? Is that too broad? Or maybe just like, I don't know. What are, what do you, just give us some advice. Nutrition <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think most people um, spend too much time obsessing and having anxiety about what they eat. So I think uh -huh. the best thing to do is like, uh, yes, you need to eat the right foods, but like, first of all, heal your relationship with eating. Mm -hmm. That's like 90% of what I do with nutrition uh, athletes and nutrition clients is like work on their relationship because it should be something where it's like you enjoy eating it, it nourishes you, and then you forget about it. You don't dwell in it all day long. You don't think about your next meal. So that's like number one, which kind of seems backwards from talking about science, but I, I love think it. It's important too. It's, it's a science, but applied as an art. Um, number two, uh, eat food, eat food that you, you know, resembles food, not so many things that are packaged and like processed, eat some of that, but have most of what you eat come from actual real food, which is easier to do in France, <laughs> but important. So shop the perimeter and then, you know, go up and down the aisles and fill the top of your cart. Um, the other big thing, and this pertains mostly to fueling during your training, um, there is no such thing as real food is better than like a sports and engineered sports. Mm. That's like one I'm just trying to like preach off the tops of mountains for everyone to hear. A gel is not bad for you. Mm. Uh, a banana or like a real food mashup of, of something is not better for you than an engineered block, like a sports chew or goo or whatever, whatever you're going to have. And the reason is everything is broken down into glucose before it's absorbed. And during training or exercise, you want it to get into your body quickly. You don't want it to be absorbed, slowly absorbed. You don't want all that fiber. You don't want different things that are going to require digestion. And this is like, I'm saying a black and white, there's a lot of gray. Um, but I think we have demonized sugar mm -hmm. and sports products is like, you know, as far as some marketing claims say like clean eating or a clean source of fuel, and that is complete 
bullshit. <laughs> you could say. <laughs> I'm very careful around because the toddler repeats everything. Oh, well, um, you don't yeah. want to know some of the things my kids have said. <laughs> well, the other, I'm just going to say this. Yeah. No, the other day I like tripped over something and stubbed my toe and I said, fucking A. And Julian, the other yeah. day, fucking A. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, no. Say, oofta. And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, oofta! You really are from Minnesota. I know, I know. <laughs> I, um, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with sugar, especially when you're when you're moving. It kind of uses like a different metabolic pathway, if you will. Like you you absorb the sugar and you use it right away. So I think that's a really big thing. Don't be afraid of sports products. When you run low, like hundred milers, like what what do you eat? Because like. It, the same thing over and over again. Like, are you eating real food? It depends on the race. So Western States, no, because it's so much faster and it's mm. hot and it's it's higher intensity. So it's mostly very simple fuel. Uh, UTMB, absolutely. Um, and I say that I haven't had a great UTMB. So maybe, you know, my 28 hour death march in, uh, <laughs> oh my God. I was eating like pasta and actually, okay works really well for me in the races over here, which sounds What is it? Cheese. Cheese. Okay. Not like that I'm fueling with cheese like hourly, but at the aid stations, that's yeah. what So I do a, a mixture. Um, I think everyone's a little different and the best thing to do, and this is not like a plug, but is to work with a nutrition professional mm -hmm. to help you dial in what you need, what works for you. Because if you have your fueling plan figured out, like that's a huge part of your race that's like off your plate and you can be confident and then you can just focus on running um, rather than wondering if you're going to get GI issues, if you have enough, is this going to work for me? What about when I get tired? When do we need caffeine? There's a lot to think through. Walk us through like, what does your life look like today? Like, what are you doing? You wake up in the morning at what time? So Julian runs into my room before <laughs> usually. Before <laughs> six? Up, yeah around 6am. Uh, we snuggle for like 20 minutes, maybe. And then I get up and make coffee and breakfast. And thank goodness, it's September. So he goes to school now. Mm. Um, it was real tough because there was no childcare. France takes the month off. So it's like you want something done? Sorry, it's August. Too bad. Yeah. So he um, starts school at 8am, which is quite early. So we, we eat breakfast, get dressed, and then I bike him down to school. Um, and then by 8.30, I'm like ready to go. Um, so today I went for a run, um, explored a little loop. The trails here are so quiet because everyone has left and it's starting to feel like fall. So I had a nice little, little run. Um, I've got a good routine, so I'm just going to take you through it. I come take, back take us through. I actually have some sort of like croissant or pan chocolat um, because... France. Uh, and I, I make a cappuccino and then I do some work, eat my lunch, do a little more work. Then I pick them up from school and we kind of like do the, that transition time, which is a tough time. I it think, is so hard between like school pickup and dinner. Um, and then I try to keep them up Well, he, he'll stay up. I try to keep them up until like eight or 9 PM. Um, I know a lot of parents that put their kids to bed at like six or seven, and that sounds amazing, but I have a couple of problems with that. One, then dinner's at a weird time, like yep. at like seven here, um, and that's still maybe a little early for France. So it's like, when would we eat dinner? And then the other part is like, if I put them to bed early, 
he wakes up really early and that's not okay. Yeah. I always put my babies to bed really early, but once they hit like that age, um, I don't know, I guess seven thirty or eight. And it just depends on what we're doing, but I love how you're yeah. flexible with it because I mean, some people, I guess, need that like really rigid schedule for their own sanity. But like, if you can get away with like not obsessing over nap times and all that, like yeah. you're going to be able to do a lot more. And I mean, I was more rigid with my first cause I could be, but like once I had more kids, I was like, well, he, I don't know if he's going to, you know, my fourth, it was like, figure it out. He, when, when does he nap? I don't know. Like when, when we're driving to the next place and he's in the car and he falls asleep for 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, We've but yeah. Strict routine. It's kind of like he goes to bed between seven 30 and 11. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he goes to bed at night. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. I also get felt uh, so much more freedom in my life when I just realized, like, I think I had to witness my sister-in-law doing it first when I was like, oh, well, we can just like, I don't know, maybe we'll be up till 10 and out doing stuff and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, there's like a lot of freedom in that. You can do a lot more when you unglue yourself from it. Yes. Yes. I, I think I was older when I um, had Julian. I was 36. Well, no, I, he, I was 37 when he was born. So I was older um, and I didn't read any books. Like mm, any Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I had that, I didn't have that of like, oh, I must do all these things. And maybe some of it would have been easier, like potty training's been real fun. Yeah. Maybe I should have read a book. But I also think like I'm winging it and that helps in some ways because then I'm not like, oh, I must do it like this. So um, any new moms out there, I think, you know, you're doing, you know how to do it right for your family and don't feel like you have to do it based on what somebody else does or a book does. Like flexibility is great. Yeah. And if the books are for you, that's great. If they're not, that's great. I remember with my last kid, I potty trained. Um, he was probably my longest one. Like he was like well beyond three by the time I got him out of diapers. And I remember one of my friends sent me this like 30 page guide to making it happen. And I was like, girlfriend, I am on my fourth child. Like we're just like when the, I like I'm desperate to be done, but like I'm not reading a 30 page manual on how to potty train. Like, I'm not doing this ever again, so maybe he'll be in diapers till he's four, but, like, just going to keep buying the diapers for now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, did you use cloth diapers, though? Because I know you're super environmental friendly. So I didn't. And okay. actually, like, did a lot of research before I did. Um I'm just going to go through this now because go yeah. it, do it. Uh, so it didn't seem like it actually was going to be that much more um, environmentally friendly cost savings. Yeah. But with the diapers, then you have to use the hot water to clean them. Um, mm. And I also thought about it in a way of like my time and like, what's a bigger investment in like climate and that sort of thing, like environmental. Sure. And the diapers seem like a lower priority than some of the mm -hmm. other so that's how I justified it. That's but a good way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would just like, he's still, well, he's still in diapers. I use air quotes because he's supposed to be potty trained going to school. So basically oh. just put pull-ups on him and then yep. like, pooped his pants a couple days, a couple times a day. Yep, yep, it. yep. Real fun. Um, okay, before we wrap up within a podcast here, just tell us a little bit about what you do um, environment wise with protect our winters. And I'm sure you're involved in other organizations as well. 
Yeah, so Protect Our Winters is um, an organization that really targets, in the U.S. at least, um, climate policy. So lobbying, going after um, lawmakers to uh, sign bills that are going to elevate climate to one of the top issues or support renewable energy or try to limit fossil fuels. So it's like thinking about it from a systemic change rather than like putting the blame on the individual, like you Mm -hmm. eat meat, you drive a car, because those things don't add up to as much as if we are to like not give leases for fossil fuels, to shut down the um, Alaska for drilling, um, to transition to renewable solar, um, EVs, um, you know, that sort of thing, clean energy sources, that's going to make a bigger impact. So that's kind of the premise of protect our winters. And we have to do it by voting in climate champions. So really elevating athletes to use their voice to talk about why this matters. Um, from a snow sport perspective, it's it's more easy to see because the snow's right disappearing. Uh, our winters are warmer. We don't have the snowpack. So it's easy to talk about. But from the trail side of thing, and I shouldn't even say trail, just by anyone who likes to go outdoors, who likes to breathe clean air and drink clean water, which I would think is probably most of us, um, it matters as well because things like wildfires are becoming more and more common, which affect not only the entire area that's burned, but also the air quality. So we have days or weeks where we can't go outside and enjoy or just like even go outside and like breathe because air quality is so poor. Um things like uh, more severe weather, erosion, like vector-borne diseases. Those are all because of climate change. So I guess with Protect Our Winters, we're trying to get that message out. And by using athletes, you know, they're uh, a role model for a lot of people. They, they have a big reach. So um, giving them the tools that they need to, to really use their voice to communicate with their audience. Um, and like... I, I'm working with Protector Winters France, which is a little bit different because <laughs> as they told me, they don't lobby here, they riot. Um, and like, <laughs> um, that's not my style. So thinking about other ways um, to, to really talk about this. And at UTMB this past, it was like two weeks ago now, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Two, three, yeah, two. yeah, it seems like forever ago, but also yesterday. Um, I was able to give a little talk at the finish line um, with some other scientists, some other athletes, just talking about the impact of climate on these spaces, on races like this, and how we should think about it. And not to shame anyone, mm. to, like be negative about it, but think about positive, like forward thinking, like what can we do moving forward to protect these places so that like our kids are able to you know, enjoy these, these places too. Oh, I love that. I love that you brought that like shame piece up too, because sometimes I think with big things like this, like we get so overwhelmed with all of the things that need to happen. And then all the things that we do in our everyday lives that like might not be good for the environment or whatever. And then we just like, don't do anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with protect our winters, we like to use the term imperfect advocate. Mm. So you don't have to do everything perfect. Like I fly, I'm flying back to Minnesota and like, I shouldn't be shamed for that. Like there's not not an alternative necessarily, but there's also a bigger picture and like, we should be able to live our lives Mm -hmm. um, and really look at like the the things that we can do that are going to make a bigger impact. 
Oh, that's so good. That's so good for everything in life. I was just, this is on a very small scale, but I was just thinking about this with, I took my kids to this football game and even before we went, I was like, we're not doing the concession stands. I'm not spending money on that. Like all the things. And then I was like, this is totally coming from my childhood and like the scarcity mentality we had from my parents because Mm -hmm. they didn't have a lot of money. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to buy the concession stand and I'm going to do this, like, let's enjoy it instead of like feeling guilty about it or making my kids feel guilty about it, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's like changing the mind shift. Yeah. I think this is like the 40s thing too. It's like, let's live it and enjoy it. Like you want to get ice cream today? Like, let's do it. And like, yeah, yeah, I love that. We can still be mindful and like, and then I was also like, we don't, we can have gratitude, but we don't have to like obsess over talking about that right now. We can also talk about it later. Um, and just like enjoy what we're doing instead of feeling like I better be so thankful for this. I bet, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like two sides to that because you want to be thankful. Um, okay. Let's wrap up here with end the podcast. What's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? So I'd really like to do a yoga teacher training at some point in my life. Um, like 200, 300 hour. Um, I've doubt, well, I shouldn't say I've dabbled. I've been a devote yogi at like periods of time and I got away from it but it's something that I'd really like to do. Oh man. Yesterday I was like, go to that yoga class, Lindsay, go to that yoga class. But it was a full hour. And I was like, I don't think I can focus for that long. If it was 45 minutes, I would have gone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough. Especially when you have kids and other things, it's like one more thing, but yeah, you're like a full hour. Uh, but it's so good. So good. Uh, do you have a best, most recent book you've read? Um, I don't know if it's like, I I've been reading a lot of scientific papers. Like that's what's consumed my time. Um, actually I need to look at the title. It's sitting right here. Um, I don't want to get it wrong. It's called in her nature. I'm not done, but it's about women getting out in the mountains like long time ago. Um, and like women belong in the mountains. So it's a fantastic read so far. I love that. Okay. Um, Someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? I mean... Tea, because you're in France. (laughs) So the first person that comes to mind is my friend Stephanie Case, who is just, like, the best human ever because she's a badass ultra runner. Like, I mean, she's just had, like, incredible races that she's done. She's a human rights advocate that works for the U.N., and she's also just a really, really good supportive friend. So, and she lives in Chamonix part-time. Oh, nice. I like to have um, coffee with Steph. You're really making me want to visit France. I'm <laughs> not a world traveler. <laughs> like, the, it, you're just making it sound so, like, magical. It, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of terrified to take my kids there because I feel like mm. the French people would be like, are your children feral? Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is a different culture. Like you can tell when the Americans come over, but it's also like, you know, kind of what we were saying, like, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be here. Like just just live it, you know? And like, um, if you need some tips for international travel, we have done many trips now and I I learned what doesn't work. I don't know if I know what works, but I know what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and my kids are big enough now that like we, like if we did next summer, like my oldest is, or my youngest is going to be six. So like, Green. We should, Green. we should be able to do this. Yes. Right. Right. Just, yeah. Um, okay. What is your last message to leave with our audience today? Uh, I think, 
we can focus on like trying to be perfect or trying to do what society wants us to do or blah, 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 and get really caught up in the comparison game. But I just think if we strip that away, like put the phone away, put that all away and just like look at what you have in front of you, that's like pretty amazing and pretty freeing to be able to do, um, to be present and like actually use your senses, like see things, smell things, feel things, like go outside without distraction of technology. Like, I think it's funny to, to say that now, but you know, you can just like live in your little bubble. Mm. Um, but when you like look at like what's around you, like it can be really, really amazing. Um, so I think that's a great thing to, to aspire to. Stephanie Howe, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Stephanie, for coming on the podcast. You all can find Stephanie on Instagram, although she's going to make you want to move to France. She is Stephanie Marie Howe over there. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hines 626 on Instagram. You can learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks for being here, friends, and we will see you next week on I'll Have Another 